Dose of Leadership Podcast, episode 120. Welcome to another episode of the Dose of Leadership Podcast, the show that brings you inspiring and educational interviews with today's most relevant and motivating leaders. Each episode is dedicated to highlight real-life leadership and influence experts who dedicate their lives to the pursuit of the truth, common sense, and courageous leadership. And now, here's your host, Richard Ryerson. Hey, welcome to the show. This is Richard Ryerson. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Dose of Leadership podcast. Before we start with the interview, I want to remind you on January 18th and 19th, I'm starting a new eight-week mastermind course focusing on John Maxwell's book, Sometimes You Win, Sometimes You Learn. Like I said, it'll be eight weeks. Uh, it's uh, two sessions on Saturday mornings and one on Sunday evenings on January 19th. And it'll go till March 15th or March 16th, depending if you're in the Saturday or Sunday class. Um, I'm looking for about 10 per class, and so you can find out more information. I did a webinar the other day that uh, kind of talks about some of the material that we'll be covering in this Mastermind class. You can find out more information. You can go to my website, doseofleadership.com, and click on Mastermind Info up in the upper hand um, uh, menu column. And you can get more information. So again, uh, thanks for tuning in. Thanks for all your support. I love the feedback I'm getting from you. And um, if you have the time, take the time you're finding value in this show. Please go to iTunes and leave a rating and review of this show or Stitcher. It helps so much for my visibility. Again, thanks for being a fan of the show. And here's the interview. Well, I'm so excited to have on my show today, Frank Gustafson. He is a good friend of mine. He's a former Marine and he has a brand new podcast out there. He's Recently launched a new venture called One Bold Move and a Lead Like a Marine podcast, which is just crushing it out there in the new and noteworthy space on iTunes. He's a Texas native. He's happily married. has three adult children. He joined the Marine Reserves in 1983, serving until 1990, achieving the rank of sergeant. And Frank spent the last 30 years in executive leadership and as a small business owner. He's passionate about leadership, entrepreneurship, and small business. And I'm so glad to have him on the show Frank, welcome to Dose of Leadership Podcast. Hey, Richard. Thanks a lot, man. I appreciate you having me on the show, brother. Yeah, you know, I love talking to former Marines. You know, everybody who's a, a fan of the show knows how much I talk about the Marine Corps, knows how much the Marine Corps has impacted my life. I love hearing people's stories, their 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 transformation, their journey, how much the Marine Corps meant to them. Tell, tell us a little bit more about yourself. How did it start with you? Well, you know, Richard, I, I grew up in a in a home Nobody in my family had ever been in the military in any way, form, or fashion. And it kind of, but I kind of grew up in a home where my father really lived the principles that, you know, that, that, um, and, the, and the, had the, the traits that I've, I later in life found were the 14 core leadership traits that the Marine Corps teaches. And he really lived those things in our house, and, and the expectations were high. Um, but I, I was uh, kind of a rebel. Um, I didn't get into a lot of trouble, but I just couldn't stand to be told what to do. I hated being trapped in a classroom, and uh, I really re- kind of railed against that whole thing. And uh, I had about uh, two weeks left in high school, and a guidance counselor called me into the office and said, Hey, just want to let you know you're not going to graduate. Whoa. Uh, you know, <laughs> you don't have enough credits to graduate because of your absences. Because I was working. I, I literally worked two part-time jobs, total full-time, and even a little more, all the way through high school, at least, you know, through the last couple of years of high school. So 
she said, you're not going to graduate. And I said, okay, hey, I really appreciate you telling me that. Uh, can I go back to class now? And she said, yeah, go. <laughs> and I didn't stop. Didn't stop at my locker. Didn't pick anything up. Didn't ask to go collect 200 bucks. I just went straight to my car and left. Wow. And a couple of days later, my dad walks in. And he says, he's, he comes home from work and he says, hey, how was school today? I said, yeah, you know, like every other day. And he said, well, they called me today and said, you haven't been there all week. And I said, and I'm not going back. And he said, yeah, you are. And I said, no, I'm not. And he said, yes, you are. And I said, no, I'm not. And he said, well, as long as you live in my house, you're going to go to school. And I said, well, I guess I don't live, I don't live here anymore then. Wow. <laughs> so he said, don't let the, the doorknob hit you with a good Lord cracks you. So I was gone. I was out. Wow. Know? And I was, I lived in, I lived in my car for a while. I lived under a friend's table and I was kind of going through the motions and I had always had a goal in my life to be a millionaire by the time I was 30. It was just, it was just, it, it was always in my mind. And I, I realized that the train that I was on didn't go through Millionaireville and how the heck was I going to make it? So I did a little, you know, some self-reflection and kind of, you know, try to figure myself out a little bit. And I realized that the thing that I was missing was discipline. Mm. I'm, I'm sitting here going, how in the world can I get discipline? Where do you get discipline? And I remember a couple of years prior seying the Marine Corps silent drill team at the state fair of Texas. And I said, those cats are disciplined. I got to go do that. So I went and found a recruiter and joined the Marine Corps. I got a, a waiver since I didn't have a high school diploma. They said, join the reserve. They said, once you get out of uh, boot camp, you go to school. Once you get out of school, you need to get your GED or go back and get your diploma. So I came back and, uh, you know, I, I, it wasn't, it wasn't a, it wasn't a smart thing because I graduated, you know, first in my class coming out of field artillery school. And, um, you know, it was pretty technical. I did, I did ballistic meteorology. It was some pretty technical stuff. So I knew I had what it took to make the grades. So I came back to, to Dallas and um, went to night school and summer school and got my diploma. Wow. That's a great story. I mean, I'm just, I just can't imagine. It's funny how you didn't like to be being told what to do. And then on the outset looking in, it's like, well, why in the heck did you join the Marine Corps? But um, what a transformation. What a great story. So, People have heard me say this before on the show, that I didn't realize how much the Marine Corps meant to me until I was away from it. Did you have a similar experience? I mean, when did you realize how much the Marine Corps transformed your life? Well, you know, I I loved the Marine Corps. I mean, I, I, I loved being involved. I loved the camaraderie. I loved the esprit de corps. I loved everything that the Marine Corps stood for, and I still do. And when uh, when I got out in 1990... It was right before Desert Storm, and we had just moved to Minneapolis, and I transferred to a an MP unit up there, and it was um, it was a different deal. It was different. It was kind of different different vibe in that unit and everything. And it was my wife was pregnant. And it was it was just kind of time for me to you know I was a non girl at the time, so it was just time for me to hang it up. So I did, and then uh, Desert Storm broke out, and man, was I conflicted. I really mm. felt like. You know, I had a lot of brothers in arms that were over there, and I just felt like I should be there. And, you know, push came to stab, and it wasn't in the cards, so um, I really missed it. And I and I look back on it, and, you know, I just, I, it, it, was a, it was the best decision that I could have made at the time right. for me was to join the Marine Corps. I mean, because it, 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 it I, I really believe that, I'm a, I'm a big fan of, um, the saying it's all good 
And I really believe that we are a conglomeration of everything that happens to us in our life, whether it's positive or negative, whatever it is, it all goes in there, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, I had a lot of negativity in my early years, in my high school years, but it, and then joined the Marine Corps, and then that was tough, and there was a lot of strife, and it was a difficult thing. But all of that made me who I am today, and I'm happy with who I am today. So, you know what? It's all good. And I, and I look back on my service, and, and I'm extremely proud of it, and um, I miss it a lot. You know, a lot of times I, I miss it, but... Yeah, I know what you mean, and and um, I'm with you the same way. When you're in it, it's, it's it's completely different. Well, I think that's with any experience in life like that, and you get used and you used to the environment. You take the the situation and the scenario for granted until you're away from it, and and when you're away from it, that's when you can marinate and and look at the value in the in in that whole experience. And yeah, I'm with you. There's not a day that doesn't go by that I don't appreciate what it taught me, the whole experiences. And I, there's, there's things I don't miss, but there are things a lot of, you know, we tend to think of the uh, positive things and the friendships and the and the people and the characters. I think that's the biggest thing that I miss is just the, the uniqueness of the the characters that you're around, I guess. You saw so many examples of leadership, good and bad. And, and I got to tell you, the bad examples is probably where I learned the most. Did you have that similar experience? Yeah, you know, I think you always do. I mean, you know, I can remember the... Um, the rare staff NCO here and there that I just kind of shook my head at and, you know, yes, Staff Sergeant, yes, Gunny, whatever you say, you know, and, and just take care of business, right? Right. But, yeah, I think I can, and there were times that, uh, you know, in the civilian world, you just want to choke somebody out. But, right. Um, you know, there you just don't do it. It's just, you just you move on. But, yeah, absolutely. There was, there, was, there was a lot of positive. There was some negative as well. So, okay, so now you're out of the Marine Corps. You, you missed the Desert Storm, kind of riding the gig, and now you're, you're transitioning into the civilian sector. Talk to me about that. How did that start? Where did it lead? Well, you know, shortly, shortly after, um, you know, when I was, you know, obviously I was in the reserves, right? So right. Um, within a short period of time after I got out of, out of my school and join my, my unit down here in Dallas, um, I, I started working in the telecom world. And we start, it was a small business. It was me and the two owners, and basically I did a little bit of everything. Um, and I did that for several years, and it was, you know, a lot of, a lot of times I'd say the best, the two best decisions I ever made was, number one, work, going to work for that cat, and number two, leaving. And then, but it got me an opportunity up in Minneapolis where we moved um, you know, I was engaged at the time, and I moved up to Minneapolis and then came back down to Dallas and got married, and, and then we moved back to Minneapolis. And I had a great opportunity there in the telecom world, and we were selling used equipment, and we became authorized distributor for for a, a, a major brand and uh, started a, a new company with a, a good friend of mine. There was, I was one of five employees. I was employee number two. And today that company has got just over 900 employees, and they're about a half billion dollar business. So... You know, I, I look back at that whole, you know, everything that, that happened, um, you know, just, I guess, as a as a, uh, a function of being at the right place uh, at the right time. I always, I always say, people say, you know, you're lucky. And I say, well, luck is where opportunity meets preparedness. And I was prepared, and the opportunity came along, and I grabbed it. Right. So, so I, I, missed my, I missed my goal. You know, my goal was always to be a millionaire by the time I was 30. I missed it by a few years, but I was real close. <laughs> So how, how much 
did the Marine Corps, the, less, the leadership lessons that you learned in that short time, how much of it has helped you in your um, executive leadership positions? Well, you know, I think I think back at the uh, the 14 core leadership traits, and the most important one to me is integrity. It always has been. I was raised in a house with a lot of integrity, and I've and I've always had that as a value in my life. And you know, the rest of the 14 core traits, the the other 13, I think, without integrity are just kind of good ideas right. and good things to do. But without integrity, there's no bite to those 14 traits. And I really believe that. Um, you know, integrity was a key thing for me in my success. And um, I think that, you know, people knew that they could trust me and that my word was my bond. And, you know, they knew I was a hard worker. And uh, and it just, it really worked out in business in general. And another thing, you know, you've got the um, the 11 leadership principles in the Marine Corps. And one of the ones that I really resound uh, with is know yourself um, and seek self-improvement. Yeah. I am always... In learning mode, ne- I never stop learning. I'm always taking an online class or, or doing something to learn something new, reading a new book. I just you know, I love learning, and I think that that has served me well in the in the work of the world. Yeah, I love those, and you're absolutely right. And trying to pick which trait and which principle um, that most you know best applies to you, you're absolutely right. I think integrity doesn't. I like what you said. It doesn't have any. All the rest of it doesn't have any bite unless you have integrity. And we talk about it a lot, and then, and I think the biggest thing I've learned kind of wrapped up with integrity there is the idea of having moral courage and understanding what that concept means, you know, doing the right thing even when it isn't popular. Um, even today when I hear some of the frustrations of people I work with or people that I know and they talk about what's bothering about there, and it all kind of goes around this whole idea of integrity wrapped up in there, and in that blanket I think decision-making, having the courage to make decisions, and having the moral courage to make decisions that aren't even popular. Those are the things, in my opinion, are lacking in so many aspects of corporate corporate life, and people are so hungry, and they're so surprised, pleasantly surprised when they see that. Um, what, do, what has your experience been in the, in the corporate arena? Would you agree with that? You know, I, yeah, I do. I agree. I think that there is a hunger for kind of what you know, you take those those eleven principles and the fourteen traits, and you meld those together. And the product of that, I think that that the market is hungry for that, and, and hungry. But I don't even know that it, it's it. It seems to me that it's hard for them to put their arms around. It's hard for them to really. It's hard for anybody, I think, to really understand kind of what that is all about. And that's one of the things that I'm that I am really pressing for with my podcast, with the Lead, Lead Like a Marine podcast, is to, it's to kind of take those traits and those values and and put a, a and really brand them. I mean, I've, you know, you got the Eagle Globe and Anchor, and that's a huge brand. And, 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 and having come from that world and, and, you know, you having come from that world, you get that, you understand that. But I think there's a lot of folks out there that really kind of don't get that. They, like, like we had talked about, you know, they, they hear Marine and they think Army, Army, you know, they think Full Metal Jacket and it's just a bunch of screaming and yelling and running back and forth and shooting everybody. And that's not what it's about. You know, you raise a very interesting point. You're absolutely right. And and I haven't been to articulate that, but what you just said made a lot of sense to me because you're absolutely right. It's not that um, 
people don't embrace that because, you know, like they make the choice not to. I think what you just hit on is that people don't embrace it because there's a lack of awareness, a lack of appreciation, a lack of understanding, I guess, or knowing the difference. Am I saying that right? I think that's what I'm... I th- yeah, I, yeah, I think you are. You know, it, in in the process of chasing the almighty dollar, I think people just get so wrapped up that um, it's hard to see the forest through the trees. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, let's talk about the podcast. I mean, what what a, uh, you know, this, this I have known you for a while now, um, a few months, and I've known through the background that you're trying to get this passion project off the ground. Here it is. It's it's up and running a few weeks into it now. Talk to us about the genesis of the podcast. You, you touched, touched a little bit on it, but what? why are you doing a podcast? Why is it so important, and how's it doing? Well, I, you know, I think like, like anything else, you know, luck and opportunity work. Uh, where uh, opportunity for preparedness come together is uh, is the point that they call luck, and that's where things really happen. That's a sweet spot, right? Right. And I, I didn't I didn't start out the, the the lead like a marine podcast was kind of a pivot when I had I had uh, I had a, a recycling business up in Minnesota for the last four or five years, and I sold that made a decision to move back down to Texas to be closer to family to really put our to really, I've always valued family, and we've all, that's been my wife and I's you know biggest deal is always value family. When we were so far away from family, it was just you know a couple of things happened in the family. We had a death in the family and had some some stuff going on, and we just wanted to be closer, you know, to our family. So, you know, I sold the business, we sold our house, and you know made the jump back down I thirty five to Texas, and I didn't, I knew I didn't want to go get a job. Um, I don't, I don't know that I'm employable anymore. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> and after, after being an entrepreneur for as long as I have. So I, I said, well, what am I going to do? So I started a, a, a website and I started a blog uh, called One Bold Move. And that was all about uh, educating and empowering and, uh, you know, small business owners and leaders. It was all about that. So small business ownership, leadership. So then I went, I went into complete study mode. And then I, I wrote an ebook called The 14 Core Leadership Traits. And I related that, each one of those traits, I related that back to business. And as I was going through that process, I just had this nagging feeling that I needed to do something. You know, I've got a, I've got a son who's a Marine right now. He's a Lance Corporal stationed out in Miramar, California. And, I, you know, I wanted to do something for him, and I wanted to do something for the other 280,000 Marines that are out there today, because I understand, you know, with this with this whole drawdown and with, with the, uh, you know, the, the uh, contraction of the Marine Corps today, there's going to be a lot of Marines coming off of active duty into the civilian workaday world, and that transition piece is probably the most difficult thing that they'll deal with. Obviously, you know, a lot of these guys these days have seen combat, and there's a, you know, they've, they've dealt with a lot of stuff. But for them to come back into the civilian world, into a, into um, a population that doesn't know them and they don't know, I really think that that transition piece is critical. Yeah. So, I took, I kind of took things to the next level with the Made Like a Marine podcast, and in that podcast, um, I am interviewing really kind of two sets of people. Number one is Marines that have and, and and I will integrate some other services into it eventually, um, but right now it's Marines that have served on active duty and have made the transition into the civilian marketplace. I believe that 
those stories should come from people who have been there and done that. And we talk about, you know, their leadership skills, and we talk about the things that they did in the Marine Corps, and then we talk about, you know, what they learned, their lessons that they learned from that transition. So that's the one group that I'm interviewing. The second group is the people that are on the recruiting and hiring side of that equation, right? Ooh, so, idea, yeah. you, you know, you, you, submit a, you submit a resume online or you fill out an application online. What does it look like from the other side? Let's demystify that piece those people that are receiving those applications and receiving those uh, resumes, what are they thinking? You know, what do they think when they see Marine? Do they think full metal jacket or do they think these 14 core leadership traits and these 11, you know, leadership principles? This is a leader. What are they seeing on that side? So that's why I'm really passionate about branding that whole piece and kind of blowing that thing wide open. I love it. What a great idea. You know, and I, and, and, Gosh, it was about a year ago, and I was talking. I've talked to a handful of people, and they said that, man, there's a need for this. There's a need for this. And I, I think it's great that you're taking the, the initiative and pivoting, like you said, and I think it's going to be a great need. And, and uh, you're absolutely right. And I can't tell you how many people I've come across who have been, especially former Marines, and we talk, and it's especially the ones that um, they get in the civilian corporate sector, and it is a huge shock for them. You know, you come, you come from – you know, leading, having tons of responsibility and accountability and even talking dollars and assets and people. And it's just people don't understand how much responsibility some of these young officers have or even um, staff NCOs. And then when they get in the real world, it's, you know, here you are reporting maybe to a fresh a college graduate who does no perspective on what you've done and how you deal with that and navigate through that successfully uh, can make or break your, your career. So kudos to you for bringing this to the forefront, and uh, I'm excited to see where this goes for you. Well, I think, Richard, I think it goes down even even lower than the young officers can be. It goes up higher than that, and it goes down lower than that, and and, and, and staff NCOs. I mean, there's a lot of corporals getting out today. Yeah, you're there's right. a lot of lance corporals getting out today that have, that have, I mean, if you've got a platoon full of privates and the senior man is a PFC, guess what? That, that PFC, that E2, has got, as much leadership responsibility as if he was a, a gunnery sergeant standing in front of that platoon, right? Yeah, absolutely he's, right. He's yeah. everything is responsible mm-hmm. for everything that that gunny would stand for when he was standing in front of that platoon. You know, so I think that you know supporting those guys as well. And I've got a uh, one of my last episodes with a was a colonel that just separated from active duty, and, and you know he is he's going through transition right now. And some of the stories that he told about some of his interactions at uh, these job fairs and things. Frustrating stuff. There's, you know, there's a story to be told. Here. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And um, so you're right. The frustrating part is that it, it's completely, it's almost like shell shock without, you know, using an overused pun or you know, cliche. But it is com- shell shocking for like, gosh, I, you know, how do I navigate this? And it's frustrating. But at the same time, there's a great opportunity. There's a great um, chance, I think, for all these people transitioning to realize that the skills that they learned, and I don't care if it was even the worst experience you had, you, you know, you did a kind of one little minimal tour, three and a half, four years, and you're out, and um, and it wasn't the best experience. I mean, if you really reflect back and marinate on that experience, even if it was a bad one, there are skills and experiences that can put you head and shoulders above the competition out there if you're just willing to accept it and, and look at yourself uh, and accept the lesson for what it was. Um I don't know. I can't say enough about what the military in general can do for people and helping them uh, navigate and 
and kind of plant the seeds of leadership that is so needed in the corp- in the corporate sector. It is so lacking in almost every corporation I work with and coach. I just it, it frustrates me to see that more common sense leadership isn't isn't applied. Well, hey man, kudos to, goes to you for your service, and I appreciate your service and the things that you have accomplished in the civilian world. And you know, you and I did have an interview on the Like podcast, and that interview by the time this interview comes out, obviously that one will be, have, have been out for a while. And uh, I encourage people to go back and listen to to the uh, Richard Rison episode. It's a it's a really good one. It's a really good. Oh well, thank you. You know, I think that what, what I think the biggest thing if if companies you know, they make it a lot more harder than it needs to. And everybody talks, well, it's just so chaotic. It's so, things are so different and things happen so fast. And when I hear that, I just kind of laugh and I'm thinking, well, that's the whole maneuver warfare concept that the Marine Corps, you know, had under their belt for for years. And they thrive on the chaos. And, and the only way to thrive on that chaos is you have to push decision-making down the absolute lowest levels. You have to have people making decisions you know, 19, 20, 21-year-olds are making decisions that would blow people away in what they're making decisions on. Wouldn't you agree? Absolutely. Absolutely. And if people would just make this, if businesses would just allow people to make decisions in their absence, that's when I think the real prosperity would come through for some of these businesses. They would break through some of this mediocrity, break through some of this bureaucracy that's just, just weighing all these corporations down. Well, on one of your uh, recent episodes where you interviewed the uh, CEO and the CEO, uh, President CEO of uh, Bombardier, I love what he talked about when he said that it's like a batting average. And, and that is a great, if, if that truly is the culture at Bombardier, that is fantastic because you're not going to hit, you're not going to hit, you're not going to get on base every single time. Right. There's going to be mistakes and you're going to learn from your mistakes. And hopefully you work in an environment where that is, that is acceptable. But if you've got a good batting average, guess what? You know, a guy that hits that, hit, that gets on base one out of three times makes millions of dollars in the uh, in, in baseball, right? Absolutely. Well, and I th- you're absolutely right. It's a great analogy. And I think, too, if people would just get comfortable with the idea of asking for forgiveness instead of permission, everybody kind of thinks, oh, that's a terrible way to operate. I think it's the only way to operate. I mean, I've seen it work in all aspects, if you just could just get people to ask for forgiveness and not permission and trust the people that they're going to make the best decision. Yeah. Every now and then you get to get the bad apple seed. He's going to, you know, be malicious or stupid, but for the most part, people don't, aren't that way. I tend to believe that most people are good and that left to their own devices, they're going to make the right decision. In fact, they're going to probably make a more creative, better decision than you would if you had a consensus and a committee. Decision-making is, is what's lacking in so many aspects of, of uh, our lives. And uh, anyway, you're getting me on a soapbox. Uh, you know, so- I, the, one of the big problems with that there is that when, when somebody who reports to somebody else, when, that's, when, that, when that underling, let's just call him an underling for now, when that underling makes a mistake, it shines a bright leadership spotlight on his leader, yeah. and if his leader hasn't done his job to to decentralize that that decision making ability, and also to drive down what the mission and the vision and the values of a project or um, or whatever it is that they're doing that this person that, made, that this person made a bad decision on, if that le- that's that all rises and falls that that's that's all on the leader, right? Right. So I think that you know people who are not strong leaders. 
don't tolerate a decentralized decision-making process because it, it shines a white-hot spotlight on their inability to guide and direct and teach and lead. Yeah, that's a great point. And I think that's why – I think that's where um, it surprises me when people are put into leadership positions and maybe they're not prepared. I guess I guess I shouldn't be surprised because people are, t- are typically put into a leadership position because they were successful in some previous technical ability, right? Oh, this guy's a great accountant. This guy was a good pilot. Therefore, he's going to make the best chief pilot. You know, the, the best pilot in the group doesn't necessarily make the best chief pilot. You know what I mean? And I think – right. And I see this in project management a lot. And I, I can't, t- gosh, I got people, they're so frustrated. And I see like rookie mistakes where this person is in a high level, like you said, spotlight position. And it's a given. They need to understand that when you're in that position, especially in a program management position, you're going to take heat from the top. You're going to take, you know, there's going to be schedule pressures. There's going to be budget pressures. There's going to be pressure from, you know, leadership to go faster, you know, harder, smarter, all that other stuff, cheaper. And then you've got to keep the people motivated and inspired at the bottom to make this. You know, it's just it's a tough job. And it surprises me when people freak out when the pressure is turned on. It's like us joining the Marine Corps saying and then realizing and kind of complaining, oh, you mean I could get shot doing this? Oh, you mean I could I could die doing this? Right. Or uh, that's what surprises me when you get put in a leadership position. People just seem so unprepared for that spotlight. Like you said, they don't understand what is fully entailed with that. And, well, you um, know, I. I was never a second lieutenant in the Marine Corps, and you were, so you could probably talk about this way better than I can. But think about when you were a second lieutenant. You were responsible. You were the leader. You were in charge. But there was always a gunny or a staff sergeant that you could go to and say, hey, you know, where do we go from here type of deal. Well, I think you're right, and I think that's if people understood that kind of concept even better, if they understood that, you know, being, and I think that's what the Marine Corps taught me early on, is like, look, yeah, on paper, I'm accountable for all of this. I'm responsible for all of this. But the machine, the engine that's running this is the, the saltiness and the experience at that that senior listed down and below, that's what's making it happen. And my job was to, my job as a lieutenant, as the officer, was to, gladly be in the spotlight and take on this the the failures of the successes and the failures i mean to take on the accountability of that group and a lot of times people don't understand what that entails and what that entails in its toughest form is being prepared to accept the failure of that team even though functionally you may have not done or technically may not have done anything wrong as the leader um it doesn't matter you still have to be accountable for that failure and very few people understand that. And if more people did, um, we wouldn't need leadership coaches and, co- and consultants, right? So I think that that, that that is the goal. If people understood that, that accountability, um, it's, a tough, it's a tough thing for people to swallow. Well, I think the differentiator there is in the Marine Corps and in, you know, in, that, in that prior life, there was, there was a, a camaraderie and a oneness of mission. Yeah, you're right. Right? That helps. Whereas there's yep. so much politics in, in business and in, and in the civilian world. Everybody's kind of jockeying for position. It's frustrating. It is. But I'm glad you're there. I'm glad you bring it to the forefront. And again, kind of branding that Marine Corps message for people to, to hear. I'm a big fan. Anything I can do to support you and your show, you know you've always got a friendly home here at Dose of Leadership. And anything I can do to help um, support your cause, you know I'm here for you. 
Where, where can people reach out and uh, get in touch with you? Give a quick plug how people can get in contact with you and find your show. You know, the best place to find me is on OneBoldMove.com. That's kind of my home base. Uh, OneBoldMove, one word, O-N-E-B-O-L-D-M-O-V-E.com. And on there, you'll find you know, my, there's all the information to contact me. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Facebook. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on everything. I, uh, I really believe in, in networking. I put my phone number in the, in the bottom of my emails because I'm always open to phone calls. And, you know, I am passionate about leadership. I'm passionate about the Marine Corps. I'm, a, I'm passionate about supporting Marines. If a Marine wants to call me at 3 o'clock in the morning, come on, call me. My phone's sitting by my bed. I want to help Marines, and that's what I'm about. You're doing great work, my friend. I'm so glad to know you. I'm proud to uh, call you my friend, and I look forward to changing the world with you, my, fr- my brother. So uh, thanks for coming on the show. Well, Rich, thanks for all you do, man. You've got a fantastic podcast, both of them. I love your podcast. I listen to both of them religiously. Well, thank you so much for that, too. And uh, But again, thanks for coming on the show. And uh, again, I look forward to, uh, to, to seeing how you change the world, my friend. Semper Fi. Semper Fi. Richard invites you to become a part of the Dose of Leadership community. Visit doseofleadership.com and sign up to receive his free Common Sense Leadership ebook, a guide that highlights how all of us can learn to become calm, confident, consistent, and courageous in all aspects of our lives. Richard is also available as a speaker for your next event. Richard specializes in practical leadership and change management. He has a philosophy of inspiring everyone to think and act like a leader, which is based on timeless natural principles and common sense. You can get more info by visiting doseofleadership.com.